Hello and welcome to Everyday Oral Surgery. This is your host, Dr. Grant Stuckey. I am an oral and maxillofacial surgeon practicing in Denver, Colorado. The goal of this podcast is to connect, learn, and inspire. In this podcast, you'll be hearing from OMS surgeons all over the globe discussing ways to improve the practice of oral and maxillofacial surgery. Most information shared in this podcast will be based on personal experience and opinions, so please supplement what you learn here with approved research studies. If you are a regular follower of the podcast, please go to our website, everydayoralsurgery.com, and register to receive newsletters and find links to our social media accounts. Most importantly, if you'd like to be interviewed on the podcast or know someone who you'd like to hear from, or if there's a topic you'd like to hear about, please email me at grantstukey at gmail.com. Without further ado, please enjoy today's episode. All right, welcome to another episode. Today I'm with multiple doctors, doctors Sebastian Graca, Benjamin Paula, and Stephen Licht. These are Olamax Facial Surgery residents at UIC. Doctors, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having Thanks us. Thanks for having Grant. us, Grant. Thanks for having us. Yeah, super excited to talk to you guys. We connected at Amos, and it was good to kind of get to know you guys as you guys are going to UIC where I went, but I never kind of knew you guys during residency or anything, but glad to connect. And I think we got a great topic for our listeners tonight. Can you guys just give us a brief kind of rundown of where you're from and maybe where you did dental school at? Hi, so I'm uh, Sebastian Graca. I went to dental school at the University of Illinois, Chicago, and I stayed here for a residency. I'm in the four-year program. Hi, Stephen Licht. I grew up in Pittsburgh, went to Pitt Dental, and last year I'm in the four-year program as well. And my name is Benjamin Paula. I'm from uh, Indiana. I went to undergrad in Chicago, but then went to dental school at Harvard and came back to Chicago for residency, and I'm in the six-year program. I was wondering how long it would take for Ben to mention he went to Harvard. How do we make it 60 seconds in? Normally, I say Boston, but I want my other HSDM uh, alumni and grads <laughs> to know that they could be proud of the small school that occupies that section of Boston. Well, thank you guys for that brief intro. They're all chief residents, final year of residency. So I thought it'd be good to do a podcast on, you know, kind of some of your power tips for succeeding in residency. So kind of first question I have for you is, you know, what tips do you have for new residents who are just starting up what a couple months ago with residency? You know, in order to excel in their first year or so of residency, what tips do you have? Maybe we could start with Sebastian. Yeah, so I think a big one is uh, don't be afraid to ask questions. If you're thinking about it, you know, chances are the other interns are probably thinking about it. And, you know, in dental school, we were always like kind of the top of our class. Our classmates would come to us for answers. As interns, the learning curve is like extremely steep and it's completely normal not to know many things. And early on in residency, we got to pick the brains of our seniors and our chief residents to kind of help acclimate ourselves to this new environment and start off residency on the right foot. Like that. So ask questions. Steven, what would you say to that question? I think just don't be, uh, not embarrassed, not the right word, but you know, it's there's nothing wrong with uh, just learning how to do the simple tasks and mastering the the easy stuff that's, you know, not exactly the critical thinking or things like that, but just learning how to be a, a part of the team. You know, not every job you do is going to be purely academic, you know, things that are just more like to-do list type stuff. And that's okay. You know, you're, that's the role you're in. And then 
it progressed to the program and have larger, more autonomy and things like that. And that's, that's part of the deal. You know, that's how it goes. For sure. I think it's hard for a lot of new residents to sometimes, you know, not be, feel embarrassed or feel kind of, you know, ashamed. I don't know if the word is ashamed, but kind of worried about what are people going to think if I don't, you know, know how to do this task or that thing. And so kind of trying to figure things out on your own and wasting time when you could have just asked somebody that type of a thing. Yeah. I always liked what uh, Dr. Malaro even despite maybe the reputation he has of uh, sometimes he starts off the year by telling all the interns, you know, like you are not expected to know like anything this year, you know, your whole first year is basically to learn, you know, all the expectations for like acquiring knowledge, you know, come later on and you know, I think the main thing that I told the residents when they started this year, and I wish I would have heard earlier on, is just to set reasonable expectations when you come to residency. Like you're going to be working way longer hours. You know, it can be like kind of frustrating, but you know, it's, if you think you're going to be done at 5 p.m. and then you're there at 6 p.m., 7 p.m., I think that's where it becomes the first year can be tough on residents. But if you set reasonable expectations, you know, I'm going to show up early. We have a long day, you know, help out with everything. And maybe I'll get home a little bit later and uh, have dinner and be able to work out or something. I think as long as you set reasonable expectations and, you know, then you won't be as frustrated and the, the year is a little bit more enjoyable. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the whole skill for life is setting reasonable expectations. Anyone who's been married knows about that during your first uh, year of marriage and all the expectations that uh, aren't met sometimes and it can get frustrating. You kind of have to reset your expectations up. Enjoyable. So I don't know. Yeah, I, Grant, I can't see. I know yeah, if, if, our, if either of our wives, are, I, don't, <laughs> I didn't experience anything like that. So, but that's interesting that you, I don't know. Yeah, maybe you've heard about stuff like that in articles. Um, yeah, yeah, just I've reading from other people. Yeah. But never experienced it myself. My wife, my wife never listens to this podcast. That's why I feel free to say stuff like this. Well, next question for you is, what has been the hardest part of residency for you? How would you answer that, Sebastian? One thing I, you know, I kind of struggled kind of touching on with what Ben said, time management and work-life balance, you know, as, you know, oral maxillofacial surgeons, we tend to love our jobs and we kind of make it almost into a lifestyle. And it's important to realize that there's a life outside of residency as well. And it's very easy to kind of lose track of that while you're in residency, especially with all the work that residency kind of throws at you. So I think, you know, making sure that you balance your responsibilities about while also balancing your life outside of residency, that's definitely something challenging, but definitely doable during residency. Steven, anything hard or has it all been a cakewalk for you? No, definitely not a cakewalk. I think the hardest part is the intern year. And it's not the hours because, you know, we're still, the hours are probably comparable in each year. It's more, for me, it was the ambiguity and and not knowing what I was doing for a lot of things. and having to really figure out a lot more that there's a lot of anxiousness there in terms of getting to a point where I was comfortable just like doing my baseline job where I could be like, you know, happy just to go about a day or, you know, now there's a lot of different kinds of stresses with the autonomy we have and the bigger surgeries we do. But, you know, if something comes in, it's not like, oh my gosh, I've never seen this before. I have no idea. I don't even know where to start. Now it's like, okay, well, I'll just, you know, I'll read an article or something and make sure I'm up to speed. And, and But you know how to get to the point where you're comfortable. That beginning, that first year, that was hard for me. So happy to be past that for sure. 
Ben, how about for you? What, what was challenging? I'd agree with what both like Steve and Seba said. There's something about trying to get that balance your first year be, between like spending all your time at the um, dental school or hospital and then balancing like finding time to work out, to exercise, to eat well, to make sure you're still sleeping well. Well, I think you start off and you you lower those down a little bit in terms of uh, how they rank in your importance, but it comes back after a little bit through intern year. And then the only other thing that I would say when Stephen was describing his more difficult parts of first year is that it's whenever you don't know like uh, what to expect, either like you're going on a new rotation for general surgery or maybe even when you're starting off in oral surgery and clinic, I could barely remember like, uh, you know, when you don't know how to start an IV or what what drugs you're giving or check the airway equipment beforehand or something like that. I think there's just a point where you have to, you go throughout residency and you have to be able to like throw yourself into certain situations, ask the senior residents when you don't know something, almost like ask too many questions at the beginning. And even as you go on, like, you know, I remember coming back to service and trying to figure out how to take a, a trio scan of a patient and then move the STL files to our computer and like what software we're going to use and then how to print it out. And I think it's a little bit daunting at the beginning. There's like the unknown. You just have to say yes and like, you know, start pushing through it. And, you know, later on when you get further along, then there's less uh, less moments like that and it becomes a lot more enjoyable. For sure. I was just talking with my brother who's a fourth year at Case Western the other day, and he's kind of doing his trauma, general surgery type rotations. And we were talking about how when you first start residency, you don't oftentimes realize like how each attending has their own things, right, that are important to them. And you have to kind of start memorizing those things and learning when you're with so-and-so. And and in this setting, you got to be on your game on X, Y, and Z points, right? Like, if you're standing in a circle at the hospital doing rounds and Dr. Maloro's there, you better know anything that has to do with nerve grafting, nerve, you know, sensory exams, anything that's got to do with that. You know he's going to start pimping you on that stuff. So for me, it was Dr. K, our cancer doctor. You know she loves talking about whatever, squamous cell carcinoma and, and the, these various aspects of it. And I think as a dental student, you don't appreciate that when you go into residency, like it's hard to get adjusted to that. And it kind of seems unfair that so-and-so would pick on you for this topic or that thing. And But it, that's just the human nature. Everyone's biased in their own way and you got to kind of roll with it. Do you guys agree with, with that experience or what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think especially, you know, one thing maybe that we could be thankful in oral surgery, like you said, each attending has their different likes. Um, but at least you know who your attendings are. And for the most part, they don't move around too much. When you're on general surgery and anesthesia and you're changing attendings, you know, it could be like daily or you're going on the moment you've spent like a month on vascular surgery, you finally figure out what you're doing. Okay, well, now they're going to put you on thoracic surgery. And then by the time you figure out what you're doing there, you go to another one and you do like, you know, a whole year of that. So it's frustrating too. And it's like each month you're hitting a new rotation, you got to memorize new attendings and they're all their various things they want to do. But I think like you're saying, if you can get good at asking questions, drop the pride, you know, swallow your pride type of thing and just be okay doing sometimes what you feel like are menial tasks, um, things will go better for you. When we're talking about the three of you and when you're trying to work with your co-residents to get stuff done, this is another aspect that I think is challenging for some residents starting some just gel, right? Like I gelled great with my co-resident and there was just the two of us and communication was pretty 
simple, but still we had to work some stuff out. And then other people have a very challenging time communicating with their co-residents, especially if there's multiple co-residents and their various, you know, attitudes and work ethics. Like I'm sure Ben's a hustler and maybe Steven doesn't hustle quite as much. And <laughs> this, this is a group of hustlers. Oh, okay. Good, good. Ben Amos, remember. But yeah, how have you guys kind of got through those growing pains and learn how to communicate effectively with your co-residents? I think we all respect each other's grind and we all have our kind of own unique clinical interests and we're all aware of each other's unique clinical interests. So we kind of help each other out in that sense. When we bounce ideas off each other, I think we've done like an extremely good well, a good um, job kind of gelling with each other, especially, I mean, I think for the most part, each one of us has been pretty content with one another we evenly distribute cases so i think we've done a really good job in that kind of aspect of uh, residency we all realize that like, you know, we're all here to learn and we want to get the most out of residency and we respect each other's time and kind of education as well even despite political differences that may or may not exist <laughs> no i agree i think you know when you come back because to be honest i didn't start off my first year i wasn't with seba and steve so I like met them, you know, when I came back from anesthesia and general surgery. But at that point, you're almost like bonded by like a traumatic, like bonded by trauma. Like, uh, you know what each other have been through. I think like Seba said, you go through it without uh, too much complaining. Or the other thing that I think we do a good job of is like almost communicating with humor. You know, if one of us does feel a certain way, I mean, I think it's important that you don't like sit there with like those thoughts or something and, you know, it, I can't really think of a great example when we've ever been upset at each other or something. We're all fairly like balanced and fair about the way we approach things, you know, very liberal progressive mentality there. <laughs> I think if we did need to communicate something, you know, you can use humor and we're always joking around even from like, you know, this morning at rounds or something throughout the whole day and, and afterwards. So if something is on our mind, we we get the point across just maybe a little bit gently. Yeah. I think the worst thing you could do is just kind of bottle it up and kind of have resent your co-residents because once you once you start resenting your co-residents that's where things kind of turn for the worst we've yeah. seen that happen among like other classes and that's we're, something that we made like a pact not to really get into we're very transparent amongst us with cases and you know things we have on the schedule you know if someone gets a case and it's interesting you say hey you know how did how did you go about getting that or you know did you work that up with so that you may maybe get a chance to work up the next one that comes in or something like that so and then we're we're obviously reasonable in terms of so that each of us can get experience and whatever thing we're interested in so it's it's nice yeah maybe a little side plug for like people when they're looking at residency programs like if the senior or chief residents are really hungry for cases i mean we like to do obviously cases and surgery and stuff but if they're like really hungry to do like a third molar case maybe they're not getting enough there i think it's helpful that we have plenty of cases of everything to go around so mm -hmm. i mean it's almost like if something comes in it's kind of like oh man i just did one of those like can one of you guys take this I think maybe as people go throughout the interview season, they pay attention to that, then they'll pick a program where you know, they'll get plenty of experience and then everyone's happy. Yeah, I also think like if you really want like a certain type of case, our pro we have a blessing at our program that it's pretty easily attainable. You know, you just have to kind of look in the right spots and talk to the right people. Well, that is a good tip to kind of check on that and kind of give you a heads up on, on stuff. It, certainly it helps to if there's tons of cases and you're not fighting for things. 
to have an easier time of having harmony between co-residents. I was thinking back on my first couple of years, but I do think it's important to kind of have each other's backs, you know, and be careful because there are, uh, unfortunately, sometimes divisive people, attendings and others, upper level residents, I feel like that can try to divide or, or maybe even not trying to divide you, but maybe they just pick a favorite and they're favoring so-and-so and you can start feeling a little resentment, right? If you're not the favored one, kind of like how Ben's favored by Dr. Maloro. <laughs> That's very, Ben is the, the golden boy. Like Mike, dad. But no, for example, like I was not favored to start out. My cousin Scott was like the, the favored golden child. And I really appreciated that he, despite being chosen, he was always trying to have my back and, hey, hey man, just heads up, so-and-so is, you know, attending's kind of getting upset with you for this or me and you need to work on that or whatever the case may be. But I feel like things really go downhill fast if you don't have each other's back and you're like kind of screwing over your co-resident whenever you get the chance. Yeah. Did you feel like that favoritism was based off looks alone or intellect as well? It was mostly because Scott had hair. I mean, I'm going to be honest here. <laughs> and I, I did not. So, <laughs> no, he was certainly more intelligent. No, I, I think that I've run across that. And my brother as well has kind of had a similar experiences where in his case, he's the golden boy and he tries to get the backs. And But there's attendings that are always kind of prying in there and trying to you know, favor him and maybe screw other people over. And he walks a fine line, as I think a lot of people do, of, you know, making sure that you're united with co-residents, but also kind of feeling the needs and demands of attendings. Any other comments about that whole topic? I would just say that I don't know if it's a function of our program or just us three, but I think we've kind of developed an attitude of sticking together. There is like a healthy competition, obviously, but we definitely have each other's backs within the program and perhaps amongst the rest of the team, because we know we have to be unified together. So maybe it's just the way that us three have known that we need to work together for this to go well, or it's a function of the program. But I think we have a pretty good system. Yeah, I think it's nice for our entire last year. We're not doing any other external rotations or anything. We're just at UIC. I mean, we come to the dental school every day before rounds. We always like uh, we're interacting every day. We're talking every day. It's not like one of us is off doing something else for one or two months and then somebody else goes away. I kind of like that our entire final year is just dedicated to oral surgery and kind of, you know, like Seba said, whatever you start developing an interest in, you know, trying to see if you can maximize those opportunities in the last year. So we see each other and we communicate every day and we really haven't had any problems or issues come up. I know at UIC we had, I don't know if this is still the case, but we had several classes and, you know, really important Dr. Maloro that we get the highest grades and you know he's always stressing the on-site scores and all this stuff so Scott and I were always trying to work together to study together and help each other and hey just so you know whatever study material I came across is helpful and I think any attitude like that where you're trying to share and help is always going to be go a long way with your co-residents. Yeah, they treat us very delicately now. There's no grades anymore in all school systems. It's just a, you know, a smile and a pat on the back and <laughs> we just kind of go about our about our day. Okay, I forgot we're a different generation. It's a, it's a generational thing. You know, we're part of that snowflake that's kind of just passing by. 
You're raised by helicopter parents or lawnmower parents, something like that. Maybe that's why I thought about that for why uh, when you sent over the questions a little bit of how we we get along or communicate with each other. You know, none of our family members, I don't think at least, are in healthcare or doctors or anything like that. I think we all are kind of like almost like I want to say like suburbanites who played sports growing up and you're on a, a sports team. I think that's like huge to be able to be honest with yourself and others about like how hard you're working and communicating and understanding like, you know, things are going to be a grind. And, you know, eventually if you do work really hard, you know, you guys can accomplish something. And we all come from like similar backgrounds. We don't take anything too seriously. And none of us were like uh, entitled. There's some people who you would never know their, their parents are involved in dentistry and they're very humble and you can know them for years before it even gets brought up. But then there's other people who, you know, after talking with them for two minutes that their parents are both physicians and they grew up in a nice area and they have like a lack of that humble nature that. And like lack of awareness for like the external kind of community. Yeah, they feel, they feel entitled. None of that here. None of that here, at least. Happy to report. I think families in dentistry, so I'm going to walk a, a nice line of uh, making sure that I don't uh, say anything inappropriate. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, good point, though. I do feel like to piggyback off sports, teams, anything you can do where you're working with a team and communicating well is only going to help you in residency. I mean, it's one thing to, you know, be able to learn as a first, second, third year and help with your co-residents but then things start shifting you know once you become a senior resident to now you're in the role of having to teach younger residents and i know some programs are kind of heavier on the hierarchy and and the communication as far as we must follow the chain of command and a first year only speaks to a second year and so on and so forth but how have you guys found effective ways to teach kind of less experienced residents? The answer written down like Dr. Graca, but <laughs> just a spitball here. You know, I think even this year, maybe what I realized as we went kind of further into the year, and we try to do a lot of teaching during rounds, you know, make things applicable to the patients we're taking care of. And just trying to remember that, you know, we've learned a, a ton over four to six years. Like, I, I don't even think that we can really grasp how little knowledge we had about anything coming into oral surgery residency. And even now, I mean, I still don't, this is the least intelligent I've probably ever been in my life. I don't know anything about anything, but when we are talking with a lot of the interns and asking them questions, I just think it's good to always remember that, you know, start off with, you know, like the basics and the background see where they are with things, because you forget really quickly how how much you've learned from your own attendings going throughout residency or if you went to medical school. And I always kept a little notebook whenever we did case conference. I mean, you know, when whenever we're in case conference, Dr. Malara will start citing articles and I'd always write them down and look them up and then try to, now that we're in this position, we can teach others. I try to utilize some of those references he did or that perspective. And I mean, I think it's fun sometimes. I mean, I don't think it feels like a task. I don't know about you guys. Steven? What are your thoughts on effective ways to teach first and second year residents? I don't know if I have any like... We're still trying yeah. to teach Stephen. <laughs> so no, it's... I would say just a general perspective on that is my approach is I try to think of how I felt when I was in that position. That helps. So, And, and in general, that leads me to give them some grace on things. You know, one thing I took away from coming back from general surgery anesthesia is that our specialty is, is nice in that you know, if you're doing it right, your complications shouldn't be that terrible. You know, nothing, we're not dealing with 
major limb surgery or anything like that. So someone forgets to set up the tape in the OR, you maybe don't need to yell at them. You can just reinforce what you taught them and and go from there. And then actual techniques and things like that. I do like to, if I'm doing a case in the clinic or something and the the intern there with me or the a younger residents with me in the case, I I will like describe what I'm doing and seeing and why I do a certain step or do something a certain way. Do you have a favorite pimp question? No, nothing that comes to mind presently. Grant, did you have a favorite pimp question that you would ask your interns back in the day in between yelling at them for uh, disappointing you? I think I forgot all my pimp questions. Occasionally I'm teaching here at Denver Health. I'm still so weak on pimping. I don't know why. It's just not a natural thing for me. But what do you guys pimp on? What are your thoughts? A better question would be, what don't we? What don't we? (laughs) You're just constantly raking them over the coals. In terms of of how that goes, you know, like any system, there's an equilibrium. And we can't all three of us be uh, asking questions all the time. So one of us or a few of us tend to ask more things. And I'm sure you can guess who asked the most questions. But based on on this, just just because I'm so because I'm empathetic. Yeah, and I can put myself in their shoes, and I want to learn. So, you buy anything from you on that topic of teaching? Did you say Steve or Sebastian? I think it's a C. I think it's a C. Bass. C. Bass. Yeah. C. Bass. What is that your nickname? What? It is one of them. I have like a bunch because I guess Sebastian is very difficult for the general population. It's a to Polish say. name. It's not. It's not too common. Wasn't he an arch, an angel, an archangel, archangel? No, that's Michael. That's was Sebastian. Sebastian was athletes. Yeah. Too bad you weren't an athlete. He was a kicker. I was a soccer goalie, not a kicker, but oh, you played real sport. So, kind of the teaching aspect, just to kind of piggyback off Steve, I like giving the interns, you know, a little bit of early hands-on experience and kind of teaching them from there. It's really easy to kind of fix bad habits early. So, I think you know, like letting them do kind of really non-critical portions of procedures, whether that's just be, you know, stitching up like the superficial layer of the skin or something that is, I think that helps them. They've been holding sticks for like hours upon hours. And for them just to get a little bit of kind of taste of getting to operate, I think it's huge and it keeps them engaged for like the entire duration of the case. So just giving them something to look forward to and little stuff like that, I think small rewards goes a long way for them. Yeah. You forget how good it was to just take out like one tooth, like, you know, when you first came to residency (laughs) or or even placing an IV, how excited that used to make you and stuff. And yeah, good to remember. Even just placing like a single screw into a mini plate. That was like the highlight of my day certain days. Sometimes just answering pages all day is very enjoyable if you have a good mindset about it. (laughs) For those of you listening. (laughs) I think everyone innately has their own way of teaching. Some people love teaching, some don't. I'm more of the hands-off, kind of let somebody experience something, and then we talk about what went wrong afterward, which is always, I should say, never the the best way of going about it. I really appreciated when I had senior residents doing like many timeouts with me, even just with thirds. I remember doing thirds as a first year, and my chief would be like okay stop you know you you did the trough let me take a look he looks okay i like this but it looks like you know you need to bring it more mesial into that interproximal space okay or extract the tooth okay let me look at it oh look you see how you scored the lingual plate with your burr that means you went too far when you sectioned it right or you went through the lingual plate that's you know and so i always appreciated somebody giving me some feedback like that and taking the time to kind of check me on things and 
stuff. I know there's certain residents that would not like that at all, and they would get pretty inflamed just hearing somebody critique them, but I was one of those that kind of enjoyed it. It's key of being a good resident. <laughs> and probably a person. That's a nice human. Yeah. Have you guys ever scored the lingual play with your burr or not? Never. Really? never. No. The lingual nerves yeah. right there. We know from Dr. Malara's MRI study, you know, we never uh never become close to that guy. Yeah. With proper technique, those things can easily be avoided. <laughs> That's what I figured. Okay. I don't have the awareness. Oh, my other pro tip for uh, being a chief resident, I had a whiteboard in the resident room, like a handheld one. And when my first years would be like just screwing things up all morning, I would like carry my whiteboard sometimes with me. It's just, It was like a small little size of a clipboard. <laughs> and I would just be writing down as I'm like helping them with their cases, like all their screw ups. And then at the end of the day, at our end of meeting, we'd have we all round up and do a powwow or whatever with the residents and sometimes we'd run through okay so-and-so or maybe we didn't even name it so-and-so somebody this morning did this right they started i don't know it was a sedation case and they started doing the local without pushing any drugs let's talk about how to avoid that situation that was good teaching just to have everybody in the room so that like the different residents aren't making the same mistake over and over i always like get a powwow at the end of the day and be like okay what f-ups did we have today let's all talk about it so we all know and you know now we're all aware do you guys do anything like that where you meet at the end of the day and kind of discuss stuff or no negative feedback can be effective but we found positive feedback to be much more effective if you look behind us right there <laughs> in our resident room we actually have a good noodle board let me bring that down for you and Dr. so we Dr. give is probably we very give, aware of this with no you can't children you can't think uh, of providing it's, a positive feedback groups they get a gold star for, for any activities of merit. We could even read out the names who are uh, at the top of the list here. <laughs> but we should probably not we leave really those names yeah. to the general public. You can see our interns. Alex work. is killing it, man. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> Crap ton of gold stars. <laughs> uh, they're noodles. Grant oh, there. okay. So noodles. Gold stars for the good general champ. Yeah. I like that, too. Saying, hey, so-and-so did this awesome today. Gold star. That's yeah, a good one. Close to Steve, and I don't know if his wife, Melissa, or who came up with it. I know she probably designed the board because it looks too nice for his hands to be uh, behind it. But that, I think it is a good idea that we, especially at the beginning of the year, once again, it takes like, it puts a little humor on certain situations when we could be asking them questions or kind of going over like what the workflow is in the morning or before the OR, what their responsibilities are. And I think it kind of allows us to do it in like almost a, a joking way, something with a little humor, so it's not too serious. So, and Grant, you see these little pieces of paper all over the desks. Those are our memes that we've created based off funny situations that maybe interns or senior residents have put themselves in. There are certain individuals who have more than others because they consistently do maybe subpar work or meme-worthy activity. Exactly. <laughs> But yeah, so we try to make everything into kind of like a laughable situation. Nothing is super uh, demeaning towards residents. People look forward to coming here in the morning. <laughs> I'm sure they do. I'm so happy to find out what meme that these guys made for me. And I'm the laughing stock of the residency. No, that's definitely good, though. I think having a good attitude. And even if you do have to review some bad stuff that happened, reviewing it in a way of, hey, we're all trying to learn from this. It's not like we're trying to tear you down and make you feel like an idiot. 
believe it or not. They we, can meme us as well. We have some so. above our desk as yeah. well. Just to fit in. <laughs> <laughs> like that, yes. All right. There's a question just about, you know, balancing getting your chief requirements and making sure younger residents kind of get their clinical experience. I'm guessing you guys don't have too big of a, an issue with that, but any comments on how to make sure you're kind of fulfilling your own requirements, but the younger guys also get to do stuff and they're not just doing scrub work that doesn't mean anything to them? Yeah, we're a top heavy program. So it's pretty uh, easy to, you know, for us to at least hit our, like, you know, the, the main goals, the big surgeries and whatnot. But letting like, you know, the interns do the kind of like the minor case or even the seniors kind of doing like those minor easier kind of cases in the OR. I think that's huge for them. They look forward to that. So we just let kind of let them do their thing with those cases like something you know like an orthognathic obviously that we work up we will do most of it maybe like the kind of like the minute parts we'll let the senior resident kind of dabble with to get their hands with so that they're ready by chief year but for the most part with the big cases it's kind of us doing them we're definitely chief heavy with the bigger cases but luckily for us outpatient clinic is pretty robust so there's a lot of work to go around and that keeps the seniors pretty busy. And then there's even enough where interns or residents like that can get experience with local cases and things like that. So I mean, the we're fortunate yeah. to be at this program in that regard. Attendings have been pretty good about also letting, when they're cutting their side of the orthognathic or something, they've been letting the interns or seniors kind of work in with them. So it's always good for the, that the attendings are kind of receptive to that as well. Yeah, another, as you would say, pro tip, Grant, I'm taking terminology there, but when uh, when people look at residencies and interview, I think like a good question is, you know, go up to the interns and say, you know, well, what what have you done in clinic the last two weeks? Like, are they just sitting there watching someone else start IVs, push medication? Are they doing any procedures? Where are they rotating? What are the seniors doing in the OR? You know, ask them like what they did in the last two weeks, like get a actual tangible response from them. I wish I would have done that when I was traveling around and there's a benefit of going to a program that's busy, even if it's going to require a lot more, you know, maybe if you're looking at another country club program, if those still exist, you know, I think that they can be really enticing because of that work-life balance, but you want to graduate residency with, as Dr. Miller says, a broad scope training. You don't want to be somebody who gets, you know, ask a question and I know at least for maybe it's a personality thing, but yeah, I think you want to be exposed as much as you can. And it's a sacrifice attending a program that's so busy, but it, you know, the reward is that you do become very well-rounded and very experienced. And, you know, four to six years goes by extremely quickly now that we're kind of at this point. To bounce off of that, you know, you have a finite amount of years in residency and education outside of residency is very difficult. And most of the time you have to pay pretty good money to actually get good education, something that you haven't done in residency. So Honestly, you use your time to the max. And I have no regrets about going to a very, you know, heavy program where I'm here late every night. But people pay money yeah. to listen to our attendings. I always try to remember that. Exactly. Despite uh falling further into the 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 debt hole. I mean, maybe you have a better idea, Grant. Like looking back, I remember oh, you told me this one time. I think it was Dr. Hopped said, you know, he was maybe four or five years out at that time. He's like, I miss residency so much. You guys have no idea how fun it is to you know, have colleagues there you you could talk about cases with, you know, the academic environment. I do think, you know, it's probably like, despite all the, at times it could seem like hard work and stress, but it's probably going to end up being one of the most enjoyable 
four to six years of of our lives. So there's a lot of good to come, things to pay attention to and enjoy. Hey, real quick attention to all residents and fellows who graduated within the last six months. KLS Martin is offering one-time sale pricing for newly graduated oral and maxillofacial surgeons. The sale includes discounts on a VNR Cairo Pro with five hand pieces, the Spectra G6 headlight, which is awesome, oral surgery instrumentation, and in-office bone graft kit components. This is an incredible deal, so don't forget to ask your KLS reps about this. So please enjoy. Yeah, I really, I mean, looking back and getting more experience with other programs after residency, I really think it's so nice when an oral surgery program is linked to a dental school because you get so many more. Well, I think the big one is implant cases because they're working them up and just teeing them up for you. And I think that's probably one of the big things that non-dental school associated programs suffer is they don't have implants being fed to them by all the dental students. And so that, what that just means that the first years don't place hardly any, the second years place a little, blah, blah, and the fourth years are trying to do as many implants as they can. And it's so nice when you have just an endless amount of implants, like at UIC where there's a dental school and, and all this stuff, because that just means that like as a first year, you get to place a ton of implants and you can have senior people watching over you and you get tons of great experience. I mean, I think for those who are at a, a school where they're not going to get tons of good implant experience their first several years, it's just having a good attitude and learning from watching upper level residents and being helpful and, and you know, all that stuff I think is critical. Just having a good attitude because once you're in the program, you can't control too much of that. But before you get there, it's good to really probe and figure this stuff out if that matters to you. Did you go to the Jesse Brown VA while you're here? Yes. Yeah, I think that's that's very Dr. Hussein. Yeah, Dr. Hussein at the VA's does a great job of allowing like interns to start placing their first implants. And then the seniors are doing kind of more bigger implant cases. And I think that's honestly really great because you get early exposure to implants and you kind of continue that throughout your entire residency. I think that is a really great thing about a lot of VAs around the country is they provide good implant experience because most of them will cover that the cost of implants. So for those who don't have a dental school, it's great supplemental experience. Okay. Any other tips you guys have as far as succeeding in residency that you guys wanted to discuss? You could go ahead, Ben. You looked eager. <laughs> well, the only other thing that I told the residents, I think when they came in this year, what? So the first one was about setting realistic expectations. And the, the second thing was that, you know, as you're kind of getting more into the hospital environment, or I guess at the dental school of things, but, you know, these are very large bureaucracies. And I think what people aren't used to dealing with sometimes is like the stress from other people being put onto you. And I guess the main one that always like kind of shocked me my first year is I always felt like, you know, the scrub nurses, they always kind of wanted to... <laughs> like tell you that you're about to touch something or, you know, to tell you what to do next. And maybe even the other one is going to medical school. You know, they don't know when you're scrubbing in that you've done this before and you know, they really can be like overbearing, but you know, you see it with maybe sometimes nurses on the floor. I don't want to say attendings that never happens here, but there's other people. And I think you just have to realize. And what I told the, the residents is that, you know, everyone is getting stress from their boss and then they don't want to, you know, it's just kind of human nature. You don't want to take that on yourself. So it's easier to like externalize it and just kind of pass it on. And it's almost like I call it like this snowball of like stress 
anxiety in some ways, like frustration. And like, it's just kind of slowly rolling down the hill. And you just have to like realize, you know, as your first year, you come in as an intern in the hospital, like you are going to constantly find yourself at the bottom of that hill with like this snowball that's just been rolling downhill from like all these other people with all their own, you know, problems and things going on either in their personal life or something like that. And you just have to, the best thing that you could, I could say is just like, acknowledge that and then just try to let those things like pass by you but i think it was like it was something about like a like a buddhist saying i can't remember it now but the worst thing you could do is let other another person affect how you feel or act uh internally and you don't just want to like respond and react to everybody you want to be like conscious and make your own decisions so maybe there's some residents even right now they're frustrated and hopefully that'll help them kind of realize, you know, you know, that's why somebody's saying something or treating them a certain way. It's just that, you know, they're dealing with a lot of things from their boss, their personal life. And you can't, you know, even if they're trying to pass that on to you, you can't like take that or accept that and just kind of, uh, be like water. Is that what? I'm trying to remember the saying, but be easy going and let it wash right over you and um, just focus on what you need to do to get the most out of that situation. I think residency is also one of those times where you could find your own niche. You know, there's pretty much have endless opportunity of education. Oral surgery is very broad. You could really kind of hone in on what what kind of oral and maxillofacial surgery you want to practice. And I think residency is a great time to kind of explore all the options, you know, go in kind of very open-minded into kind of every aspect of oral surgery. Uh, you know, just because you're on your head and neck rotation and you didn't like cancer, you know, in dental school doesn't mean you won't like it, you know, kind of moving through your residency. But I think going open-minded into everything, kind of narrowing down on your niche so that when you do get a residency, you, you know exactly kind of what you want to do. And I think you'll be a lot heavier with that. Dr. Edwards at Michigan, I'll give him credit for telling me this during uh, the interview, but it's, you want to go to residency and then almost develop something unique that you can then offer to, you know, the community you're going to be working and practicing in, in the future. It's not just that, you know, anyone could take out wisdom teeth or maybe do like sedations, you know, some of the dental alveolar stuff, but you know, what can you take from residency that that's unique that you can provide to people that wouldn't otherwise have access to it. And I think I always had that in the back of my head. And a good thing to remember is you pick a program and start to move from the first to final year. Any final tips? Going back though to Ben's comment, I really love that comment. I think what what I like about it is okay, I can see Ben thinking, you know, when these nurses are criticizing him and whoever else it is is like, you know, why are they doing this to me? And I think the mistake a lot of new residents make is taking everything personally, right? And it's like so and so is bossing me around, they're all telling me this crap because they hate me, you know, and everybody hates me and like at the bottom of this hill and everyone's throwing their crap on me. I think in the end, so much of that, the crap, you know, that you have to endure as a resident is not personal. And it's like you're saying, a lot of it has to do with their, who's ever dishing out the crap is their own personal life and their own stress they're under and their own, you know, job, whatever issues they got going on, family issues. And so uh, that's a pro tip is just try not to take things personally, or at least not think that you're doing a horrible job and, you know, have it be a reflection on because someone so corrected you on something, it's not a commentary on you being a bad person or something like that. Yeah. You just have to have a little bit of a thicker skin, I guess, to be a surgery resident. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I, like that too. I love all your comments. I like a lot of the stuff is helpful for dental students looking at programs, trying to figure things out. But certainly as you become a resident, things to 
be aware of and kind of ways to get through hard times or at least excelling and doing well in residency. Be proactive, you know, be the driver of your bus and try to make the most of every learning opportunity. That's that's Maloro there is be the driver, not the passenger. Does he say that to you guys or has he a, does he have a new analogy? No, that's what right when you said that, I was like, that's Maloro right there. That's Maloro. He also says he wants you to be, he wants to be like a lion, right? Didn't he do that a few years ago? There's a big foot of a lion up there. Be the lion. No, he's yeah. he's turned to Chad GPT for his advice now. <laughs> That's right. Ever since AI came out, he's become a lot more creative in his comments. Interesting. He's so up to date with technology. You don't understand that, Seba. <laughs> Keep track of that list because, you know, eventually we got to sell this to these dental students who need all this information. We got to make money off this. We got to <laughs> right. make money. Hey, that right there sounds like a Dr. Maloro mentality. My last question for you is our guests, probably most of our listeners do not know this, but you guys created and fabricated the most incredible roast video that has ever been made by the hands and minds of residents. You guys showed it to me at Amos. It was like a 30-minute, 45-minute full Steven Spielberg type production. And it was there were actors and lines and scripts and cars and explosions i think you had adventure scenes and it was so hilarious so what are your pro tips on making a great roast video well grant as you mentioned you need to be a driver and we are all three drivers and this is merely a function of that <laughs> this you is know, the elite machine we were told machine. to do a roast and and therefore we <laughs> we delivered determined to do the best roast possible <laughs> i think most of the credit needs to go to ben because he did direct, film, and edit the entire piece. And I did help with the writing and the acting. And of course, there are other members of the team who acted and made it terrific. I think a lot of it comes down to like fine detail and cinematography. <laughs> you know, that's going to really make it or break it to make something like Lights Out. You know, Ben really channeled his inner Martin Scorsese like he was really big on the camera angles, the background, you know, it had to be perfect. It, it had to be perfect. That's all I got to say. And then I think, you know, just even like the fine, minute, like just changing like the audio, like how loud the music is in the background. That really makes like a scene, like goes to like a good scene to like a Martin Scorsese type scene. And of course, we had a lot of pent up, I wouldn't say anger, but maybe just feelings towards the chiefs as seniors. And that really came through in the writing and the acting and i think scenes for sure most of those scenes are us replicating actual situations that actually occurred we just kind of you know blew them a little out of proportion but yeah i think there's also like a fine line between funny and hurtful and i think we were just on that funny line where we just (laughs) took it just to the edge but not too far yeah comedy is an art form (laughs) I mean, maybe you don't know this, but the year before is, I think that's when they started the the roast, right? And then two, John. Two, two years before. Uh, well, yeah. it was a COVID inspired because they didn't do it in person. So they made a little video, but it was mostly just a collage of pictures. Because you did open mic, correct? We had open mic, but I did myself create videos and I showed a video at mine, but it was, um, and I think it's in the UIC archive somewhere. But Malaro was telling me like last year, he's like, I rewatched the videos you made and they're hilarious. And I'm so glad you made those because it reminded me of all the stupid, funny stuff you guys were doing back then. My video was like, 
a caveman video compared to your guys's video yours was like <laughs> well last last year one the guy who made the video last year john anderson actually went to school for a year for like film so oh that when we started making it this year none of us had any experience at all and we had i'd never used iMovie like our iPhone or anything. I think a big one was last year. We we came up with this scene where Dr. Malaro was like uh, leaving the dental school, like burning out in his Audi R8. And we just I think that was like the initial thought. And then we started a Google document almost at the beginning of the year with other things that would occur. But kudos to Dr. Malaro who actually let us drive his Audi around <laughs> on the on the roof of the uh, parking structure and then burnt out for us. And uh, nearly missed a four that, foot yeah. cement pole um, before he uh, and a red ramp. Chevy. And a red if you Chevy. look closely, he just ever so slightly hits the brake and just avoids that thing. Well, good pro tips there. Making a roast video channel, all those experiences that you've had, inner emotions, everything that you've got. Um, it, it was brilliant, and it, it's so cool because you'll have that video to remind you later on in life. You know, you could look back on it and remember all the funny stuff that was happening. I think Doctor Flores watched it over fifty times. Really? The only the only fear that comes at this point is now we sit in a, a place of vulnerability where now a video could be made. It will not be made, but it could be made. There may <laughs> there may be thoughts people have about making a video about us, but we've been uh, even thinking about just making another one. Yeah, we've contemplated this re-roasting. Yeah, we call it class. roast <laughs> 2.0. Or roast plus. <laughs> my uh, real quick, I'm remembering my roast video was I kind of patterned it out after the office because the office was bigger back then. And I would like interview uh, you know every resident and attending like kind of like they're sitting in the office like michael scott or jim or whatever and ask them so what do you think of Do dr maloro you know and they're like saying all this crazy stuff it, it was pretty i even asked assistants i had them like doing interviews in the operatories and it was just so hilarious and can you tell us what some of them said about dr maloro just for curiosity <laughs> i mean there, there's lots of comments on his fashion i can tell you that also on his diet and the funny things he eats and just all sorts of hilarious stuff. What um, did he eat at the time? <laughs> There's a lot of broth soup and like hard candy. That's all I remember is kind of the, the old diet. The Gwyneth, yeah. that, that's the Gwyneth Paltrow right there. <laughs> a little chicken ball. And Starbucks, always a Starbucks. Yeah, he still does that. Decaf coffee. I know his order. No, no big deal. <laughs> So good stuff, good memories to have. It's it's worth uh, doing it. But like you're saying, I think try to not cross that border of utter humiliation and making people cry. That's never a good thing, right? If, especially if it's in front of a large group of people. Their family, friends, and closest loved ones, yes. There was a point before the roast or before the graduation where we thought that we could potentially get fired for <laughs> airing the video. And we went ahead with it anyway. It worked out. It worked out. I will say I was a bit nervous. You don't create the best video and not air it. So that's what we thought. True passion for cinematography. Our careers are in the in the balance. Should we do this? Let's do it. We give 100% effort in everything we do. So All right. Well, if there are listeners who have further questions for you guys about anything that we've talked about are you guys good if i put some emails or some type of contact info on the show notes yeah of course yeah i'd be happy to help them sure cool thank you guys appreciate so, you uh, sticking around and doing this 
we're running a little bit long, but I did want to ask you the rapid fire questions. Do you have another couple minutes or do you need to go? No, we're good. We've got, we got all time. The time in the world. Okay. Boom. Let's do this. Rapid fire. What is the best book you've read in the past year, Sebastian? I've only read uh, one book and one book only, and that's Dr. Melora's Peterson's uh, Oral <laughs> Maxwell Facial Surgery. I would also <laughs> like to say that Peterson's is my favorite book I read in the last year by Dr. Michael Melora. I can't bring myself to say the same thing. I would say mostly I don't really read recreationally much right now. It's mostly for work, like, you know, journal articles and stuff. But in preparation for moving, I did recently read or I'm reading First Time Home Buyer, uh, which is a good book. Actually, a really good book I did read that I have been suggesting to people. I don't know if other people uh, recommended it on the show before, but Sapiens. Has anyone recommended that by Yuval Noah Harari? Sapiens. I feel like someone did a while back. Is that good? It, it's like a almost like a history of humans and just a very like what I want to say, like almost like blunt, realistic description of you know what humans were doing, you know, from a hundred thousand years ago to ten thousand, and you know, you realize how drastically things change relatively like very quickly. And I think it, I love that book. I would reread that book or suggest it to anyone who wants something if they get a week of vacation. Yeah, I think I've only read one book in the past year and it's related to the my love of the game of golf and that's Ben Hogan's Five Lessons, The Fundamentals of Golf. So that's a great book. You know, whenever you start struggling, you always go back to it. It's a fantastic way to just kind of get back into the game. What happens if you read that and you still are no good at golf? Some of us out there. Maybe find it. Yeah, that, maybe find a new hobby at that okay. point. All right, next question. What non-oral surgery thing do you do in your life that helps you with your daily oral surgery skills? Ben, do you want to start us off? I mean, I think it's important to exercise and, and stay in shape. And I mean, there's nothing. I'm not like using like tennis balls to develop hand strength in my, <laughs> in my free time. I think it's good just when you leave work. You know, the best thing I could do for work is when I actually leave here and I'm done with work is I do try to separate it a lot. It doesn't help me out with my hand skills or anything, but when I go home, I, I try not to think about work anymore. I just try to like shut it off. I think it's like difficult, but I did learn that in football. Football is a sport that Dr. Licht and I played. Dr. Graca knows nothing about it because his family's more European, European football. <laughs> uh, football. But I think, yeah, just turning things off. I mean, yeah, I'm not, I'm not like lifting or anything heavy at home. I, I ride a Peloton and I do yoga and I beer, drink beer. I think that's very good to maintain a, a social life. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, playing sports outside of residency, it just helps you kind of detox from like that academic lifestyle. You know, you kick it back with your friends and you're not thinking about anything medicine related. So I think just keeping your mind off of surgery helps you inherently in surgery because it keeps you mentally sane. Do you exercise a lot? I do slowly. The camera, the camera is going to be on. Yeah, it's fine. You you can film me. I'm not ashamed of my body. (laughs) Yeah, I would say a similar response there. I wish I could tell you I like play piano or something for dexterity, but I know you asked this question, so I did think about it. And it would really just be that I, I do try to uh, exercise a good bit. And that's really the way I've managed stress well before residency. And another thing that makes intern year so hard is that it's hard to find time to, to do that. Uh, but at this stage... I'm able to to do that at least, you know, twice a week or so. And I think it's very helpful to keep a a balanced state of mind. And and physical health is important for our our career, you know, in terms of not developing like back pain and stuff like that. I think it's good to keep your muscles strong and stuff. So 
Uh, what forceps do you use to extract tooth number 12? That's our one of our interns. Very high achieving intern, <laughs> high also achieving. known as the workhorse, yeah, Josh so. Haberman. I just kind of call him in and uh, <laughs> it'll be out before you know it. He tells you, oh, so you go get somebody else to take it out for you. <laughs> Sebastian, and, how about you? You know, whatever the assistant hands me, Upper Universal or Ash, I think, you know. You're a driver. You pick your, what you pick it You pick an Ash. Uh, it's it's whatever's handed to my hand. I could take anything out with any forcep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Steven, what do you got? Start with the with an Upper Universal. Yeah. And then an also like a, an ash if, if it was there, but luck say, uh, yeah, make sure the interns the first, out there listening know that you have to break the PDL fibers, luxate a little bit before you just grip and rip. The first direction would be, yeah, this is I would say, right? Yeah, this is not John Daly stuff. You gotta, you gotta make sure that tooth is moving before you just try to throw a forcep and just whack it out of there. What is the first direction you go when you're using a forceps? On that tooth? Oh, no, this is. On this, that this, this is, is a, a this pimp, is a trap. A, a pimp question, right from the from the king <laughs> he, himself. From yeah. The, <laughs> well, yeah, of course, say, apical pressure, but a buckle and apical. Yeah. Ben, are you using uh, an ash or a upper? Uh, yeah, I like the ash forcep. You know, in this clinic, if you say ash forcep, there's probably like ten different ones we've collected over however many years they've been here. I recently grabbed a forcep and then went to grab a tooth and the whole forcep snapped <laughs> and it just, it broke right in half the metal. But we have like, yeah, we have very oddly shaped ash. If I, yeah, just a normal ash though, I feel like for a premolar or any of the anteriors would be. That's true. Yeah. I do like the anatomic forceps for the maxillary molars and then a cow horn. I don't think, I think those three, that's all I would really go for. for I think so. Yeah. For the, the most part. Yeah. I'm super picky probably after years of taking out wisdom teeth, but. What do you uh, use, Dr. Stuckey? Usually the ash, and I have a very specific, the, the MD3 that KLS Martin sells. Did you get paid for that comment? <laughs> we got to figure we, out how to make money. <laughs> got to make money. Can you throw the link in the bio <laughs> for that ash? So maybe Dr. Bolero could graciously buy a press. Yeah, oh, so. yeah. You could donate, uh, donate that uh, forcep. Just remember, we're still looking for a donor for operatory room three. <laughs> But no, I feel like specific forceps, of course, we could all take every tooth out, right? With just a periosteal, we're all capable of doing things on a desert island without instruments. I could use the string of a palm tree and wrap it around a tooth and yank it out. But it just saves you so much time and you just feel better, man, when you use the right instruments and you get that tooth out quicker, more efficiently. So... There, there's my pitch for the MD3. And uh, however, actually, KLS just told me the other day, don't talk about the MD3 so much because we're like on back order. Everyone keeps buying them because you keep talking about it. So, anyway, you're a social media influencer, right? <laughs> and an oral surgeon only secondary to that. Exactly. Okay. Next question is favorite Netflix series. Steven, what is it? Or do you watch Netflix? You guys probably don't watch TV or movie. What do you got? This is like a guilty pleasure one. I don't watch a lot of Netflix. Lately, my wife and I, we watch the uh, the Great British Baking Show. Oh, uh, yeah. It's pretty lame to admit, but it's not bad. 10,000 10, oral <laughs> surgeons around the country just lost respect for you. <laughs> and all 10,000 of them watch it. <laughs> it's not bad. I, I watch it. I watch it. I don't know about that. It's okay. Ashton, how about you? 
So I have Peacock at home. I don't pay for a Netflix account, but I just watch reruns of The Office. I, it's like Ooh, a yeah, timeless I classic. You, I could watch that thing like over and over and it gets funnier each time. Oh, actually, a program favorite is we love the I think you should Tim leave. Robinson. Yeah, Tim, Tim Robinson, Robinson. I think you should leave. All of us will like we'll quote that yeah. all day long. Throughout That's super day, funny yeah. if somebody yeah. hasn't watched it yet, because I think it's three seasons. Think so. yeah. yeah, it's so funny. And he has a bunch of uh, the things on Instagram. Oh, reels. the reels on reels. Instagram. Reels. Yeah. Are you familiar with the show, Grant? I'm not. Is that on Netflix or where do you find that? He's on Netflix. Yeah, latest yeah. one's on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. He, he's a comedian. <laughs> he wrote for SNL from the story I heard is that these are a lot of the they skits that he offered that they, had, they didn't want. And now he's making a killing off of it. Yeah. You've probably seen him on Instagram and stuff if you, if you do follow some reels. Okay, well, I'll research that out more and watch that because I was looking for good comedies. Any Seinfeld fans or not really? Do you guys have a yeah. your time? No, the big Seinfeld. Yeah. Larry David. That's the Malaro favorite. Seinfeld? Yeah. I like Curb Your Enthusiasm a lot. Love it. I just saw Seinfeld live two weeks ago. It was awesome. Stand up. Stand up, yeah. Where at? In Denver. He was doing stand up. And uh, there was some issue when we were going in with our tickets and they like said, oh, we have to put you in different seats. And we ended up like in the second row, right in the center. And we were just right there with with uh, Jerry. So it was pretty awesome. Wow. Yeah, it was really good. Clean. I mean, it's just him on a stool sitting there with a bottle of water and just wearing like a regular suit with the white shirt. It was pretty cool. But love his stuff. Super hilarious guy. So recommend that last question is favorite quote what is your favorite quote sometimes this one's hard to think of off the cuff but if you do you guys have any quotes you kind of go back to i'm trying to think of a good quote that i heard recently charles bukowski said oh the problem with the world is that intelligent people are filled with doubts and stupid people are filled with confidence but I guess that's not my favorite quote. My favorite quote is from my, I always try to remember these quotes I hear, but my favorite quote my dad told me a long time ago, the original quote, and it's just everything in moderation. I could talk about all these other quotes that I do like a lot and stuff, but I do think that I always come back to that one. You know, you can apply it to anything. And I think it is good just to have a little balance and normalcy and yeah, everything in moderation. You, it's difficult to go wrong if you do that. That's a problem. Maybe we could get into politics now. Yeah. Uh, you know, things aren't in moderation. We we have a few other topics we uh we prepared for. Prepared, yeah. yeah. So my favorite quote, my gym teacher probably told me this in high school. It's pretty lame, but aerodynamically, the bumblebee shouldn't be able to fly, but the bumblebee doesn't know, so it goes on flying anyway. I like that. And how should we apply that to ourselves as oral surgeons? The field mouse <laughs> is fast, but the owl sees at night. That's from Talladega Nights. <laughs> <laughs> so profound. Oh, man, that's hilarious. I could quickly say how that applies to oral surgery. Since oh, yes, please. Nicely cut me off. But <laughs> Grant, what's your favorite quote? If I could cut off Dr. Grock right now, what's your favorite quote? I think we've heard enough about the bumblebee anyway. <laughs> no, I'm dying to hear about the bumblebee because I'm trying to piece it together in my mind. There's some high school gym teacher out there that just heard himself reference. <laughs> You know, people may throw shade at you. Just just do your thing. Be your own person. Kind of channel your own interests. I think you'll succeed that way. Don't listen to what other and people say and outside influences. Just kind of be yourself. That's the way I kind of always kind of interpreted it and it's carried me this far, I guess. Were you bullied as a child? I was not bullied as a child. Come on. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> 
Maybe they weren't on the football team. <laughs> well, those are all good quotes. I like that. Have you said this before already? Do you repeat the same one or you get a, a quote you like? I, yeah, I have a bunch of quotes. Some of them I, I picked up from people who said quotes, but I really like, well, I mean, to sum up the whole podcast theme is uh, one of my favorite quotes is, Ralph Waldo Emerson, he said, every man is my superior in some way. And in that I learn of him. And like, I, I always have been very inquisitive and curious and like constantly trying to extract wisdom from people, even like with my patients, I'm always like, Oh, what do you do for work? Oh, really? Oh, interesting. Well, what, how does that work? How does this work? I'm always learning stuff from other people. And so, you know, and the, here it is, we're, it's me learning from you guys tonight. And so I'm uh, bleeding you guys bone dry of all your wisdom. You didn't even know it. This may be one of the only podcasts where the listeners became dumber having uh, <laughs> uh, listened to the, the, the hour-long material that we unfortunately provided. So may God have mercy on our soul. <laughs> Whoever made it to the end of this podcast, kudos to you listeners out there. I'm proud of you guys for getting through it. IQ level drop 20 to 25 points. <laughs> oh, hey, I've learned some good stuff from this podcast, so. No, no shade. And you guys need to post your video on YouTube or something. And we could put a link for our listeners because you have got to see this. Even if you don't know any of these characters, it's so freaking funny. I laughed the whole time and I didn't even know half the people you were making fun of. It was that good. We'll, we'll get some clearance. It's on YouTube, but it's hidden. Oh, so okay. Maybe after we graduate. We'll yeah, it's it. probably so funny. We'll be in HR on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wait till you graduate and you have your diploma in hand. Then you post it. Well, thank you, my men, my brethren. <laughs> thank you for doing this. We'll do the handshake, the secret UIC handshake. You want to do it through the video now? Don't tell anyone what we're doing. Let's rock. Let's rock today. <laughs> <laughs> Little school of rock reference there. Love it. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Very nice. Okay. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you later. All right. Take care. Take Grant. care. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. For more information on these podcasts, please visit everydayoralsurgery.com. I love feedback and would be very grateful if you would reach out to me via my email, grantstukey at gmail.com, and let me know what you thought of this episode. Or you can text me at 720-441-6059. Additionally, if you have any topics you'd like to hear about or if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, please, please email or text me. I found many of my interviewees through people who have been contacting me and I've been listening and I've gotten so many great uh, ideas for more podcasts and that's what helps keep, keep the podcast rolling. So I really appreciate you making that extra effort and helping me out with uh, feedback and knowing what to do next on the podcast. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.